Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm a guy that got suckered into watching this movie, or a.k.a. Chris Bivey. And today we're going to celebrate Christmas by talking about Batman Returns here on Genreless. Hello and welcome to a perhaps not so special Christmas episode of Genreless. This was one of the things where we were looking at the schedule and realized, oh, one of our episodes is going to land on December 25th. We should maybe do something about that. And I was like, look at all of the DC-related stuff that we could talk about that's set at Christmas. And I ignored all of that and instead chose Batman Returns. <laughs> I would have chose Iron Man 3 because, you know, it happens at Christmas. Oh, crap. I didn't think about that. You're true. But I don't know. Or I, the, the OG Christmas movie. Die Hard. Well, that's not a DC or superhero related, though. Did wait? What did you see? The amount of damage Bruce Willis took in that film. You can't tell me that he is not a C grade superhero soldier from the Netiverse. Look at that guy, and he's he fit in perfect. I would tell you right now that he could beat Danny Rand, the Immortal Iron Fist. He would then like lose to Matt, Jessica, or Luke, but he could beat one of those four key defenders. Heck, I'd go so far. Even Frank Castle could beat. Wow. Bruce. Wow. Wow. That That's strong indication. I mean, you're right. Obviously, Die Hard is a ludicrous, ludicrous movie. But I, I was trying to kind of stay on theme. And technically, this movie is part of the Arrowverse because there was a filmed cameo with Michael Keaton, but it got cut from the crossover. Oh. So it exists somewhere. Before you get us back on track, a tidbit of information for you about Die Hard. Do you know that the first choice to be the lead in Die Hard was Frank Sinatra? What? Really? Old Blue Eyes himself. That would have been a very different movie. Do you know why? No, I don't. There was a movie called the detective based on the book from way back when and Frank Sinatra in his contract starred in that movie. And in the sequel, he would get first offer to play the role. And so Die Hard is technically a sequel to that book slash movie from the 60s or 70s. Really? And they had to offer it to Frank. Oh my God. And of course, Frank was like, fuck what, 80 then? He's like, (laughs) I'm not running around on broken glass, like diving out of windows. And then, you know, David Addison got it. It was, uh, I was, I remember what I was reading or listening to, but uh, got on the topic of uh, maturing candidate, mm-hmm. um, where Frank Sinatra was great in that. But uh, the director talked about how Frank would do the first take reasonably well, but each subsequent take was always pretty much kind of mumbling and distracted, you know, like most of our episodes. And <laughs> some, uh, one of the, things where he's like losing his mind um, and the camera's out of focus. That was actually the, the first take and oh. they couldn't use the other takes. So they had to keep the kind of out of focus shot. Yeah. Um, and for years, everyone thought, oh, that was intentional to kind of show visually how he's losing his grip on reality. No, just the cameraman was <laughs> messing, with the, messing with the camera. Didn't realize it was an actual full on take. And then all the other takes were just so bad. They couldn't use any of those where he was actually in focus. Maybe that'll be our, our new podcast where we just talk about random movie trivia for an entire season. <laughs> the, the Frank Sinatra podcast. <laughs> <laughs> then people would have to listen to me sing somewhere along the way, and no one wants that. Like, I don't want zero. Because <laughs> I would then I would end every episode, regardless of what we did, even after singing like Moonlight and everything else, I would end it on Hurricane. Hurricane. The, up, the upside is if we did a Frank Sinatra podcast, then we could actually do the Fly Me to the Moon outro that was missing <laughs> from Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> Boom! Just Died like the original, just like the original MCU, it's all connected. It's all connected. The, the genreless <laughs> cinematic universe. 
All right. I guess we could get on topic because it's Christmas. And of course, people want to go and be with their families or their friends or go see that movie that is out. They want to go see and not sit here. Listen to us ramble endlessly. (laughs) Endlessly. So Batman Returns, this is the sequel to the 1989 Batman movie. So we have Michael Keaton as Batman. And this was very much kind of like a, a goth icon of the early 90s before like the Nightmare Before Christmas kind of came along. So, I mean, it, it's it definitely has a certain style and aesthetic, uh, which is interesting, let's say. You can still see the kind of blending of timelines that was happening. In, we even saw it in the Flash, but we you know we saw it in the first or talked about it existing in the first Batman movie. It definitely exists in the animated series. We're still kind of seeing that here, although there's a bit more kind of Victorian here. But again, this is still an era where it, Batman has not escaped the shadow of the '60s TV show. So it is, I'm going to say, totally inconsistent from a starting point and we'll kind of explore that as we go through <laughs> can i just say that tim burton is totally inconsistent boom boom <clears throat> tim burton is an aesthetic and certainly at this stage hadn't really figured out what that aesthetic really is i think later he figures it out and then arguably calcifies that and kind of just stays there for decades afterwards um, that said, I mean, I just watched Wednesday on Netflix recently, and I feel like that's an interesting kind of reinvigoration of that aesthetic. Uh, but still, you can see very heavy Burtonness in here. Yeah. This is kind of early Burton aesthetic, and it, it's yeah, it's all over the place. It it is Wednesday's on my to watch list, and I, I joke about Tim Burton. I, I like a lot of the visuals that Tim Burton brings, but. I also have heard some of the different little drama behind the set associated with the Batman Returns, and that is that that has soured me on the movie even before we started. And I, I will don't attempt- know anything about this behind the scenes stuff because I didn't do research. Uh, for this. <laughs> I, I didn't do research, but I know because I listened to other podcasts, and one of them did like a superhero series, and what they did like the Batman movie. They started with sixty six, and they worked all their way up to the Batman. Mm-hmm. Which I've still not seen the Batman. It's but okay. One of the things they talked about is how the Tim Burton didn't want to do a sequel to Batman. Mm-hmm. And so he had two points for the writer when they come in is that he has to break up with Vicky Vale to like sort of cut ties from that other movie and that Catwoman needs to be a sexy vixen. Like mm-hmm. those were the writer's notes. And I don't remember the name of the original writer, sorry, who was in replaced by someone else. And then they had like another writer come in to like doctor up the script. But the first one was a lot darker and bleaker. And like Batman was had already basically pulled his Spider-Man like Batman no more. Oh, wow. And didn't want to protect Gotham. And so that was all scrapped. And then they brought in someone else to sort of lighten it somewhat, but it was so bad that Keaton didn't want to do the role anymore and decided made like an actress choice to minimize Batman speaking parts in the movie. Wow. So it's like lots of tension and drama, not to mention, I forgot her name now because we're on air, but she played Rachel in Blade Runner. Sean Young was who was supposed to have been Vicky Vale in the first movie. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. But I think she broke her leg in a horseback riding thing. So that's why she couldn't do it. And they had to get someone else. But she came onto the set dressed in a Catwoman costume to try to audition the role to become Catwoman. And like Tim Burton was hiding in an office from her and all this other shenanigans. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, There's a lot more, but that's a quick, quick version. Well, I mean, uh, uh, and I think that's, that's I don't know the split, but I mean, that, 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 knowing that there's a very chaotic production environment and a very conflicted production environment, certainly I think lends to what we see on the screen because I'm going to be straight up here. I mean, this is one of the rare times where I think we're actually going to be on different pages for this because I actually kind of like the movie, but I recognize going in that it was going to be kind of a huge Gothic mess and I got a huge Gothic mess. It, it I didn't, I wasn't going to go, this is going to be a great Batman movie. He's like, no, this is going to be a bunch of Christmas schlock. And boy, I got that. But there are some things that I liked about it, but I also 
as I was watching it going, I don't think I'm supposed to like this the way I'm liking it. Well, part of it also is the studio, I want to say like days before they started filming, wanted the penguin to have a master plan. Mm -hmm. So that's why you get the subplot of the penguin and the first firstborn kids he wants to get rid of was right. added in like a day before shooting started. Originally okay. it was supposed to have been penguin basically running for mayor. It would have almost been like an episode from the uh, 66 show. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, now that you said that again, I can kind of see how that stuff was. Actually, let's, let's cover the, the plot real quick. So we can talk about that in more detail. Uh, so in the stories of Gotham city to the rooftops of Gotham city, the penguin played by Danny DeVito wants to know where he came from. Catwoman, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, plans to kill rich men of Gotham. Uh, sorry, rich man of Gotham, Max Shrek, who's played by Christopher Walken. But as he battles with billionaire Bruce Wayne, played by Michael Keaton, both men have their own secrets. Bruce Wayne is back as Batman, trying to stop the Penguin. Max is helping Penguin steal Gotham City while he's running for mayor, while Catwoman tries to help Penguin, not realizing Shrek is helping him. That's kind of the extremely super high-level version of it, because... Going through the actual beats of this story, I, the more you look at the actual plot, the less it makes sense. Because it is a, because you're right. It, like, that's why I want to cover the plot first is because you can see kind of how stuff was added in and taken out to kind of get this movie to hit some kind of magic metric. You keep using the word plot. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Plot is the, the the things that happen in order to make characters do stuff. And in that respect, a plot occurs. <laughs> you said in order. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, won't, I won't drag the movie, but I will say that we definitely have different opinions on what we got. And even right. growing up as like a goth kid. Mm. And I may still have some goth and emo aesthetics about me. It well, still totally. it didn't speak to me then. It definitely doesn't speak to me now. And to think that this is a movie they decided to make after the hit that the first Batman movie was, even then when I first watched it was painful. And like thinking about it now in retrospect as a person that does creative stuff, but also understands the business aspect that to be able to make cool creative stuff, you have to at least make it so that lots of different people can engage with it positively or negatively. It needs to be engaging for them. And I believe this movie turned off a lot of people and was in fact one of the reasons that we had a big break in Batman, I think, for a while. Yeah, so um, my recollection of this is it's similar to yours. Like, I remember not liking this movie and for, for years I was like, oh God, every movie after Batman 89 was terrible. And then, you know, you get to say, well, about the, the Nolan films and there's pros and cons of those and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I remember like you going out to the theater feeling disappointed, but also it's like, this kind of aesthetic isn't really being shown in films. And so like I said, it was kind of like there's this brief period where that was a movie a lot of folks in my subculture latched onto until Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, no, okay, no, this is actually good, but still doing the thing you want to show. So it wasn't very long. But going back to it, you're right in the sense of I, it's pretty clear they don't know what made Batman 89 a hit. Mm -hmm. And even if you rewatch Batman 89, at some point maybe it's worth us doing, but uh, my hazy recollection of rewatching it about six or seven years ago is that a lot of it hinges on Keaton's extremely dry delivery as Bruce Wayne balancing Nicholson's Joker. And so a lot of it is that you have the two extremes of behavior and in the intersection of those, the characters can, other characters, supporting cast can slide around. And so you get the humor and the drama, but they're, they're codified by the two sides of the film, the, the, the protagonist antagonist. And in this movie, everyone was trying to be both simultaneously very dramatic and funny. And it just kind of, wobbles all over the place. Danny DeVito surprisingly it's like he you bring on a comedian to play the antagonist. You figure he's going to be the goofy silliest character. And weirdly he's the most dramatic out of the whole cast and that's not how that should be playing. But it's it's not surprising. Comedians are actually usually incredible dramatic actors. Absolutely. I completely agree. 
<clears throat> sorry, it's one of the things that is always astounding. Even when we go back and think about Robin Williams, unfortunately, who passed, as people know, was mm-hmm. a great dramatic actor. And yep. that was like an amazing thing to see him do that and then like go on the other side and be one of the funniest people on the planet. It was staggering. Right. And so you, you, you see this performance where like, again, I was like, I was, I remember going, Oh my God, Danny DeVito was terrible. I went, I want you. It's like, actually he's not. It's just that there are these random scenes kind of jammed in and it maybe feels like at the last moments where it's, Oh, you have to do this silly thing now or whatnot. But there's actually a real dark undercurrent to his performance that you just don't see in DeVito specifically. And like, if he could have run with that, it could have been a really, really compelling film. Like, well, I didn't like what DeVito was doing. I cannot say that he wasn't bringing like a 14 to a yeah. 10 table. And he was in it to win it with what they gave him, which was awesome. The material he got, I can then question and say that, ah, blah. Right, Michelle, like, Michelle Pfeiffer was excellent, but the mm-hmm. material she got was bleh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like I didn't need to see Penguin hitting on absolutely every person that walked by him with a pulse. You know, that I, I, I didn't – that wasn't something I needed to see. But it was like – he was like, okay, if I'm going to play this lascivious character, I'm going to do it within the rating I've been given. And he, he goes for it. And, and he does it in a way that is – never like oh yeah that guy's cool it's you know it's always like oh my god ugh, stay away from me i mean and he, he's just trying to play that creepy guy as hard as he can and he does it so it's like wow i didn't want that i understand kind of like on the table it's the oh let's have him flirt with michelle pfeiffer and it's like that but the problem is they're both going really hard at their respective things and it's just not working right it's like see, i'll, I'll I, I flirt with all the ladies and she's like i'm gonna be super sexy and it's like cool so obviously they're gonna you know, that's going to be tension there. It's like, no, it just feels really awkward and dirty and not in a fun way. And it's, it's even more than that. It's almost as if it was constantly broaching, if not passing. I can't speak to this with any sort of like validity, but it felt like sexual assault watching the movie constantly being reinforced over and over and violence on women watching the movie. Right, right. So, and, and again, it's like, I, I, I see the logic of the, let's have this person's horrible to women and then who ultimately gets shut down by a woman, but she has zero to do with Penguin's defeat. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a misstep there, but that could have been a really cool structure, right? Of like, I'm in charge. I'm the mayor. I'm, I'm the epitome of every sleazy asshole in a government position that has absolutely no resonance to modern day politics in any way, shape or form. (laughs) And now this woman who has taken agency over her own life tears that down even while in in the process sacrificing herself. And it's like, that's not an amazing story, but that could have been a good story. Um, The problem is that you have, you have too many factors flying around. And when you touch on it not being a mayor, how it is modern day, that goes back to something you mentioned in a previous podcast about how Batman plays in this weird sort of gray area of it's not timeless, but it feels like it could be 50s. It feels like it could be 90s. And they sort of flow between those by having like very classical shaped cars. Technology mm-hmm. is, I'm not going to say limited, but very targeted in its use and what they show you, which makes it feel like it could be in the 40s or 50s. Or it could be in the 90s. I don't know. And it has right. that that it plays with. And it gives the ability to move characters to act differently and make different assumptions on their power levels of what they can and can't do in society. Right. And so I, 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 I watched this movie and it's like I, I see some of the potential there. And, and again, there are moments that I really, really dug. And I felt like if the movie had had the opportunity to channel the black humor more. I feel like it could have been really strong. And also this is the problem with a lot of superhero films that get sequels and beyond, frankly, which is that too many villains problem. Um, because on paper, there are two villains here, but really there are three. Uh, Cause Max Shrek is effectively a third supervillain in this story. And it's just too much. There's way too much going on. So one of the other things that I, I, I heard cause I didn't read it is that it was originally believed that the Max Shrek character was supposed to have been Harvey Dent and doing all that from inside mm. the government. 
And instead, okay. they sort of scrubbed that idea and they fired Billy D. Williams. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Much how they got rid of uh, Damon Wayan, who was supposed to have been Robin in this movie. I didn't know that. I didn't realize Robin was going to be that fast. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, there's a lot about the movie that I personally don't like some of it because it eliminated a few black characters that were supposed to have been there. Some of it's because the script is bad. Some of it's because as a, as a goth kid growing up, I wanted it to be like a super cool goth thing because it made existence easier. Like when Batman came out, it was a big hit that made being like a geek or goth cooler and it made your existence smoother. Right. And it was a nice thing. I, I think the the trajectory is interesting to talk about it because um, I think what kind of happened was this is a cult film. There are certain people who really, really passionately love it. A lot of people are like, meh about it. The reason why that is a detriment is because this is off of what was an actual cultural success. You went backwards from a cultural success to a cult classic. I mean, I don't even want to say classic, cult hit. It's like, and that's as a backward slot because you, you should th- – this was the opportunity to make superheroes mainstream and it didn't mm-hmm. quite land. It, it was enough that it got things like The Flash made, it got Smallville made, it got the animated series made, and like the, the lot of 90s Marvel cartoons that came out as well. All that came off the, the heels of Batman 89. So it started a momentum that kind of petered out and then came back up with Iron Man 2008. But this hey, should have been hey, building off success. Hey, and I feel that I need to, to to come in here and say that Iron Man only happened and that entire movement only worked because of one specific movie that came out between this and well before Iron Man. Do you know the movie I'm about to say? No, I don't. You know, actually. I'm giving a big lead up just to do this thing that I like to do. No, I actually Blade. know what you're Without Blade, there would be no MCU. Uh, Blade was a success phenomenon, that first Blade movie. The second one, then Diminishing Returns. But it was that that sparked it and then gave it that big momentum push to have all the other movies come. And a lot of people forget Blade. I'm not saying you did or didn't, but they forget that movie and its importance. I I, I do not forget Blade. I would argue how much contribution it had to comic movies simply because a lot of people to this day do not realize that Blade was a comic book movie. Folks like us did. And I was super happy, excited to see it. But a lot of people, again, it's like that, oh, it's, 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 it's a cool vampire film. And it is a cool vampire film. And other films exist afterwards. But I wouldn't argue that comic- a lot of people wouldn't know that Iron Man was a comic book because it was a not very successful comic book and it's not a very well-known character. It, yes, but it, it, it reads more like a more traditional superhero film than Blade does. We, we will have to, to choose to differ, my friend. I mean, I, again, I view Blade as part of the MCU. In fact, when I ran a Marvel Superheroes game that was based in MCU, I said the Blade movies were canon in the game I was running because they absolutely were. And there are nods in it to, if, to the Marvel Universe if you look for them. Um, so, I mean, I am with you on that from a personal level. I would just say culturally, I don't think most people looked at Blade and said, oh, that's, a super, that's in the same space as Batman 89 or the 70s. Superman movies. I don't see it. But they look at Iron Man and go, oh, that's kind of like a modern reinvention of those movies. I still don't see it because Iron. the reason that people now have a cultural love of Iron Man is because of the Iron Man movie that came out with the Avengers that came out later. And like that's where their knowledge of the comic book character came from. Before that, Iron Man was like a C or D tier character oh, yeah. that was dying off that people had no idea about. Like, No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying that people recognized Iron Man immediately. I'm saying is that it was pitched and positions sales-wise as a superhero film, whereas Blade was not. Blade was pitched and positioned like an action horror film. Uh, but actually, that does kind of lead back to Batman Returns in the sense that one thing I, I will absolutely agree with you on that is that Blade was the first film to say comic book-based movies can be more than just silly superhero stuff. And with Batman Returns, you see what could have been an earlier step towards that, that I think a lot of people backed off of too hard. But there, and there are remnants of it. Like for example, uh, there's a scene where uh, there's a subplot of this uh, woman who is this beauty pageant winner. Who's who her job is to turn on the Christmas tree in the center of Gotham square. 
and it's a dumb subplot and she is written very, very badly in the almost stereotypical stupid blonde, which I don't like. But one of the gags that she's trying really hard to remember how to push the button to turn on the tree and then she's killed and her body is thrown onto the button that turns on the lights. And that is a hilariously dark joke. And I feel like it, they couldn't cut it out because there's lots of things around that scene that you, it's hard to excise. But that set a certain tone that felt like that was probably in the DNA of the film that then largely got kind of pulled out. Or things like the, the penguin showing up at the end of the movie to drag the penguin who's been killed off into the sea in a parody of, of, of pallbearers. I mean, it's and, and the fact that none of them are actually touching the body at all, which is actually also deeply hilarious, although probably unintentionally. Um, but they're just kind of they're 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 sending him, you know, and there's funeral music playing, and like, that's funny in a really bleak way. And the rest of the film is just not doing that stuff. Well, part of the problem I think also originates from the fact that the first Batman movie was very toyetic. And there was a lot of momentum for it, mm. and they wanted the Batman Returns to be as, if not more, toyetic. toyetic. And there had already been contracts signed, like McDonald's was going to be making toys. There were all these things that they were going to do with it. And there is nearly nothing in this movie that you would want a kid to have a toy of. You wouldn't even want to pick your kids to go really see this movie. So that was like a massive loss in money right there. Coupled yeah. with, I don't think it did well at all in the box office by itself, mm. which is another thing that sort of doomed it. Right. Yeah, because I mean, what what we're seeing is a movie that's torn apart by market forces. I think you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of the the jokes shoved in absolutely feel like market focused. We need to make things funny here. And there are moments where the for for those who don't know, toyetic is a term often used for something that is put out in media that can then be spun off into made toys out of. Power Rangers is probably the most toyetic franchise in existence, uh, but certainly Transformers, um, really a lot of 80s action cartoons, some of which we covered on the show. Toyetic kind of came out of that. It's like, oh, we can make a thing and then immediately spin it off and sell toys off. Uh, and you're right. There's none of that here. Um, so you have one group of people making this movie who are like, we need the next big kids film because we didn't expect Batman to be a huge kids film. And another group who are like, we want to follow Frank Miller and make this as dark as possible. And it's like, oh, there's a middle ground we can find. And they just didn't find it. Um, because you're right. There's no toyetic things. There's a moment which I feel like could have been and is also weirdly funny. But again, for the wrong reasons, which is uh, Penguin sitting in the toy Batmobile while he takes control of the real Batmobile. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's again, Danny DeVito chewing the scenery for all he's worth to make that scene work. And so it's like, I am enjoying Danny DeVito's performance in what is a really terrible scene. And I'm frankly <laughs> not a great set too, because it's like the fact that there is a toy Batmobile raises way too many questions about the world. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a random thought now that you say that, now I, my brain always tangents. I am curious if the reason that Pee Wee Herman got to be the elder Cobblepot is because Tim Burton was a director for Pee Wee's Playhouse. Honestly, I, I was going to bring that up, actually. Um, I, I genuinely believe that was a case of, I want to give my friend a small walk-on role, because there's no one in the early 90s who would have recognized that as Paul Rubens. <laughs> Nobody would have. I recognized him because I have seen Paul Rubens in later stuff, and I've gotten better at seeing Paul Rubens outside of the Pee Wee outfit. But most people only saw him as Pee Wee, and they would not have realized that was Paul Rubens. And was, yeah, I, I completely raised it going, hey, come on here and do this quick part for me. But at the same time, it's the, well, what would happen if you had had Paul Rubens in Batman? I mean, again, I, I feel like that could have been, Paul Rubens had that kind of tone of that dark humor that, that could have worked, especially, um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of Paul Rubens' early stand-up stuff, but it's dark. And no. fr frankly offensive at times, but you know, for nineties caliber stuff, it would have been an interesting trend. So I'm not sure when the, the incident with him happened. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the incident is you can yes. go Google it yourself. We're not talking about it here, but I would have rather seen like the, the newer interpretation they have of Cobblepot and had Paul Rubens play penguin where he was they're mm -hmm. like a peer of Bruce Wayne and you have like those competing family dynamics, which would have added 
drama and tension and we could have def- definitely gone more goth without going what we did right another reason why i think this movie is good to look at is it is an early point where there's enough dc specific media simultaneously in the world where you have the opportunity to potentially draw from each other and you choose not to um so like right now we've talked before we're in golden age of superhero media so like there's there's been plenty of times the past 20 years where there's been a Spider-Man cartoon at the same time as Spider-Man movies. There's been, when we did our Netiverse stuff is how the MCU didn't really draw from the TV shows, but TV shows drew from them. Um, and this is a perfect example where Batman animated series was drawing from the first movie and then ultimately all the movies to kind of shape its aesthetic. So it was drawing inspiration from the movies and doing what we see in retrospect is much better jobs of reinventing these characters. And then the movies had an opportunity to draw from that material and chose not to. The Cobblepot, the Penguin in the animated series is far superior to the Penguin we see in this movie. I, again, I stand by my earlier statement that Danny DeVito took the material he got and did a great job with what he got. But I'm with you. I much prefer the aristocratic Penguin that we see in the animated series, frankly, even the Riddler, the Riddler in the animated series is still my Riddler to this day because I love the Edward Nygma in the animated series. But, you know, but a, more, a more clear example is the Mr. Freeze, the animated series. Several years later, Batman movie had a Mr. Freeze and they could have they had a very clear chance to make that. And instead they said, but what if we gave it to Arnold Schwarzenegger instead? You know, instead of like the the John Luke or Patrick Stewart version of Mister Freeze, right? Yeah, that would have been amazing. So, isn't this the movie though that started the trend for the multiple villains in superhero yes. movies, and why it became like a staple? Yes, uh, this was. I mean, I take it back. You could argue that uh, Superman two did that, but really, it was Zod and his cronies. So. Well, and I know several- that we could, I know we could say Batman sixty six technically had like his entire rogues gallery in it, but come on, we're not we're not counting that. Batman sixty six was really a celebration of the TV show, and again, digression. But there there are certain uh, media events, fifth anniversary of Doctor Who, for example, or the multi Doctor stories of Doctor Who. That's a good example. Um, some people point those and go, they're just self-indulgence, nostalgia, nonsense. And like, yes, but that's exactly the point. And you don't write nostalgic, self-indulgent nonsense the same way as you write other media. And so judging them by the standards of other media is unfair. The Batman 66 movie is exactly that. It was the, we want to celebrate this amazing show. We've had a surprising good run on. So let's cram absolutely every guest star into it. So fans of the TV show will go, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. That's the whole point of the movie. And it does that really well. The actual movie is nonsense, but the show is nonsense, you know? This is a case of, frankly, I don't think they felt that Catwoman could carry a whole film by herself. And so they had to put in a quote-unquote more traditional villain. And so they shoved a second person in, and then they had to have a person to stitch those two plots together. So they put a third person in. And it really shows. All right. Let, let's, let's talk about the, the, the Shrek of it all. So Donald Trump oh. Max Shrek <laughs> is a character that has aged surprisingly well for me. Because, yes, it's Christopher Walken. Thank Christopher Walken. But if you hire Christopher Walken, that's what you hire Christopher Walken for, right? You don't hire Christopher Walken to play a character role. You hire him to play Christopher Walken wearing different clothes. <laughs> so he does that. But I swear to you, I actually screen capped this because I laughed so hard. There's a point where Penguin is going into the uh, library or the records, Hall of Records, because ostensibly it is to find out who his real parents are. Um, and the city's behind him because they feel sorry for him. But he secretly rang down the names of the firstborn children. And the, the reporters are outside town hall or sorry the hall of records and shrek is outside and kind of saying we need to go in and talk to him you know we have a right to and max shrek says let's put, let's not worry about the constitution guys it's christmas 
<laughs> and I'm watching this like a week after Donald Trump on whatever his social media thing basically says, we should suspend the constitution and put me back as president. And I'm like, so I'm like, the parallels are 30 years apart. And yet starkly, <laughs> if this had been done now, it would have been too pointed of a parody. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And like another, another whole plot of the movie is Max Shrek trying to invalidate the election process to get Cobblepot put in as mayor. And he he kills someone. Just yeah. Another sorry, he kills another person because Penguin has a hand of a partner who he killed. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and then attempts to kill someone who knows his wrongdoing. But of course, super movie. So instead, she gets. She, she becomes Catwoman. Uh, so how do we know that he didn't kill her? And those mystical cats that came along breathe life into her, granting her her nine lives that she kind of waste a lot of them in this movie. I don't know why he would do that if he had nine. Right. But supernatural Catwoman. So what you're saying is those cats grew up in Smallville when the meteors landed. And Ken yeah. came to Gotham. So yeah, I, I, I buy it. it. It's canon. Sure, that works. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that she's supernatural because she doesn't die. And and remember the metal grating before she blew up the building. Mm-hmm. How she punched a hole with her with her hand. That's true. Eddie, it's hand true. metal grating. That's true. And it ripped true. it off. Supernatural. Right. Just say it. So, like, I am someone who will defend media for just saying, we're doing this because it looks cool or because it sounds cool and not because it makes sense. As long as you stick to that. Like, for example, I have argued that Transformers, the animated movie, is a genuinely good film if you look at it from the perspective of it being a metaphor for the robotic conflict and not as a movie that actually makes logical sense, because it makes no logical sense. But if you, oh. if it, what? I am now defending Transformers. The movie makes perfect logical sense. You, uh, sorry, this isn't our Transformer podcast. We'll come back to that one. <laughs> oh no, because I, 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 I love the movie, but also I can argue against it, but also for it, because I mean, it's, I bring it up in the sense that uh, one of the conceits of Transformers movies that for some reason, everyone who's not from Earth is a robot. In every single planet, they're all robots. And the, the, the argument I would make is that if robots were telling a mythological story about their conflict, of course, everyone else is like them because we do the same thing as humans, right? So from a concept of I want to make a Batman film that just – does stuff because it looks like things Batman would do or things would happen in Batman's world. I would be behind it, but it doesn't kind of work that way. The problem is that it doesn't, Batman's one of those characters where you have to go, which Batman, right? Batman has such a long history that you can break down into distinctive eras and people have done this. And we have reached a length of period where these Batmans are becoming increasingly irreconcilable. And from a long perspective, that's fine, but you can't jam them all in the same movie. You can't jam 66 Batman into a movie with Frank Miller, Batman and 86 strikes a pretty good balance because it doesn't pick a side. Batman is the Frank Miller, Batman. It's just the rest of the world is 66 Batman. This one, you have Bruce Wayne taking a CD ROM and moving it back and forth to make noises that A, CD-ROMs don't do, and B, Bruce Wayne should never do. He, In reality, the reason that he became a dark, brooding vigilante is that his career as a DJ just never took off. I am here and you know how I know that? Year zero, where he's just like going to different parties, a shitty DJ with like, he has like the, the head sock on and he's got Molly and he's just not working out for him. And he's so upset that no one sees his vision as DJ Dark Knight. <laughs> We're going to trademark that DJ Dark Knight trademark. <laughs> wow. And I like. Michael Keaton as Batman. 
I do. Yeah, so do I. I. I like Michael Keaton as Batman. I don't like the movie that Michael Keaton is in as Batman. I think I've stressed it enough, so I don't. I mean, that's going to be my disclaimer here out. On the whole, I do not like this movie. There are things about the movie I do like, certain scenes and aesthetics that are inside of it. For instance, while it bothers me on some level, I love the fact when the bat symbol shines in to Bruce Wayne's study and he's sitting there and he stands up seeing the bat symbol. Yeah. Like that one scene, beautiful. The scene after it where they show the bat symbol shooting into the sky breaks that beauty and illusion because I'm like, is Wayne Manor like a bajillion stories high and it hits into the window? <laughs> Does he have mirrors strategically placed around Gotham that like redirect it into Wayne Manor? Well, I mean, How they, is that? I mean, they do have them around the manor to do that. Yeah, because, like, you know, the different mirrors actually redirect the manor to point it to, into his room. So we do see that, which I loved because it's exactly the kind of contrived nonsense a billionaire would do. It's like, I want to see the bat symbol, but I don't want to leave my chair. What's the most over-engineered way I can do this? <laughs> and how does it know which room he's going to be in? Do, do all the windows, do all the rooms in Wayne Manor have open windows with mirrors that shine into them? So the bat symbol shines in every single room at once? Obviously. I mean, how else would you do that? Like, these are the things that bother me. Like, I know it doesn't bother the people. And it wouldn't bother me if the tone, had, if they had had a consistent tone throughout the entire film. Right, like, exactly. if it had been over the top from start to finish, I would have been on board for that gothic zany ride. Right. But. Yeah. If it had been dramatic with a vein of dark gallows humor, it would have been a great film. If it had been just over-the-top nonsense with a, a, a coat of black paints, it would have been fine. It, it, it's constantly oscillating between these two. And again, I like chunks of the film. I enjoyed watching it. But, you know, the other thing is like, there, there's, a, there's a Christmas aesthetic to it that doesn't lend a single thing to the story. And I don't, I don't think that Christmas films need to necessarily, you know, ramp down and be like so Christmassy. I mean, it doesn't need to be a holiday special, but you bring up Die Hard. Die Hard, I'm with, I'm with the argument of it's a Christmas film because Die Hard is a different film if you take Christmas out of it. it the, the film feels different if it's just a random day at the office. This movie, <laughs> if you just replace the Christmas lighting scene with some other event, nothing in this movie changes. Not a single yeah. thing. And so it, it, it very much felt like someone somewhere at Warner Brothers said, and this movie needs to be made at Christmas kind of thing. Um, so now so, I'm just curious, what is your go-to Christmas movie? Actually, it is um, the Jeremy Brett's uh, version of the Blue Carbuncle, by Sherlock Holmes. Because, hey, you should not be surprised see, at all by that. <laughs> like I was going to say, do you see the surprise on my face? No, no, not at all. You shouldn't be, no one should be surprised by this. But I mean, uh, it's also, again, a great story because it's, for a Sherlock Holmes story, it's relatively low stakes. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, it's just about a jewel that got lost, so no one's died or anything like that. But also, it is, a, a lot of the story hinges on the fact that Holmes is doing it specifically because it is Christmas and someone's Christmas is about to be ruined. Um, he, of course, it's an interesting case on top of it because that's what Holmes does. But I mean, he, you can see that the way, especially the way the episode is shot, the story is written a little more ambiguously, but the way the episode is shot, the way Jeremy Brett plays the character, he starts to play kind of gruff Holmes, but the, he gets that smile at the corner of his mouth, the kind of twitch he does is so perfect that you go, Holmes is like, no, Holmes is into this and wants to do it, <laughs> even though he's claiming he's not. So yeah, that's that's my go-to. Like when I want to feel good about the holidays, I throw that on every time it works. How about you? Nice. Mine is in fact not a Christmas movie, but I saw it the first time as a kid on Christmas, and I watch it every year since. The animated Hobbit movie from nineteen seventy-seven. I don't think I've seen that one. Well, let me phrase that. Love I don't it. think I've seen that one since since the seventies. I, I saw it at a, a remarkable young age. I want to say like what was that seven? And I've watched it every year since. And it's like part of the tradition. I try to show it to my kid. And she's like, mm, dad. Mm. <laughs> Could we not maybe? <laughs> and I go, no, we all must sing. It's the greatest adventure. <laughs> and that's what we have to do because it's a spivey household. 
Because you rule with you iron want, fist. <laughs> if you want a real holiday movie, it is, in fact, the old classic, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a staple. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's uh, another good classic film. But we're not here to talk about good films or classics. We're here to talk about Batman Returns. Yes! Yeah! See how I did that? You yeah. saw the trade coming. It's yeah, like, is yeah. going to do that? I know. There was no, is he going to do that? It's the, okay, when's he going to do that? When's he going (laughs) to throw the switch on the train and have us change tracks under the guise of keeping the podcast online, but secretly to undermine the fact that I chose this film, that you have repeatedly iterated I have chose this film and want me to feel bad about that, and I refuse to feel bad about it. I, I stand by my choice. True, true, you called me. I was being totally inconsistent like this movie. And Batman shoves dynamite down someone's pants and kicks him into a sewer. You know we weren't going to go through this podcast without me mentioning that once, right? No, uh, no. And go ahead. Talk about that because that's, that's so part of the thing is, regardless of what your opinion of Batman, Batman doesn't kill. Batman does kill. The Joker is saying that he, if you can get Batman on one bad day, he kills. The original Batman ran run around with a gun shooting people. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You can't say that Batman doesn't kill. The very nature of Batman is a darker character that does things like that. And the moral ambiguity of Batman is why it works so well. Yep. And we've moved away from that throughout the years to make Batman more kid-friendly and acceptable. Mm-hmm. But in a movie, to have Batman kill someone and smile about it like it's a joke is destroys the character. Like, I don't mind the killing of the person. Not the best move. Batman admitting that, you know what, I can't fight. This one random big guy would beat me up. And he shoves dynamite, kicks him in the sewer, blows up, and he smiles when he does it. And it's like, yep, mm-hmm. I'm out. And, I mean, another piece of this is that we're talking about the the, the humor and how that's kind of all the place. But, there, but steadily through the film, the film is funny, right? Like, you can't... A lot of the MCU films are serious films that have people that tend to joke and crack jokes. That's kind of the, the it's frankly the way you make media these days, really. You make action media is that it's relatively serious stakes, but everyone is kind of a joker. Different kinds of joker, but everyone kind of makes jokes. That's just how it works now. This is also that, except for, like you said, characters act inconsistently in order to sell a joke, which then moves the needle to the world is funny. This is a comedic concept. And then you have really raunchy situations. And it's like, who is this aimed for? Is this aimed for an adult audience? If so, why do we have someone having dynamite shit on their pants being a joke? If this is for kids, why is Catwoman kissing Max Shrek with a taser? <laughs> in a power line a in a power line yeah it's like it's there's two there's two movies here frankly and they're both and the fact that all this is in 90 minutes just blows my mind i mean this this is it, it, it's again it's just a, a bunch of stuff happens is, is what the movie ends up being and there's some stuff in there that i like but you could have you could have made two completely different films out of this I would go so far as to say that you could have made three films out of this movie. <laughs> so we could have, I feel like there's the Selena Kyle comes back from the dead to take vengeance on Max Shrek movie. That, that's mm-hmm. one movie that would have been pretty dark. Maybe have a little bit of, of humor in there. There's the penguin runs for mayor plot ripped out of the 66 TV show movie and then yeah i think there's a third penguin murders all the first sons of gotham that could have been probably entirely third film i think you're right i think you're right i would say four because my film was the max shrek red triangle gang taking over like the power plants and like how do we how do we not talk about the red triangle gang that's another just random and also the services in town (laughs) which shout out to our 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 actor doug jones what up doug (laughs) <laughs> yeah why are they called the red triangle why are they a circus who knows it, it just know. happened move on just just accept it so four movies 90 minutes and 
it, what's weird though, it's only 90 minutes. There's a lot going on and there's about a 20 minute window where I'm bored. Like that. How do you do that? Like, yeah, there's 20 minutes where I'm bored in this movie. And there's so much going on. My brain just goes. Dook. Was that the romance subplot? No, I'm, I'm used to bad romance subplots. I, I watched okay. romantic comedies. So I'm used to bad stuff. Well, you watch Smallville. So I guess you're used to that. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I chose Smallville. Can't make me feel bad about it. For me, it was a bit of that just because it really looked like those two actors had zero chemistry together. Yeah. Like I all for a while, I almost felt like maybe they were filming them with, with stunt doubles and matching the same room at one point. Um, and then there are a couple shots. That, okay. No, they're obviously in the same room, but they might as well not be. Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer had more chemistry and that should not be <laughs> happening. <laughs> I think because I, I listen to movie podcasts. One of them mentioned that Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer were in a relationship, but no longer in a relationship at that point in time. That is really obvious now that you pointed out. Yeah, it, they looked like they hated each other, and it it came across on screen. So, man. Jeez. No, it was more of the Penguin's uh, firstborn subplot was just boring, how it was executed. And also Penguins with like, launching missiles kind of. I understand that may be your thing. So okay, so so but. on the one hand, I got strong Gamma World <laughs> vibes from that. Um, so I loved it because it's like, of course, penguins have cybernetic helmets and missiles. Because why wouldn't you do that? If you could do that, why wouldn't you do that? Um, but I agree with you. And again, it was penguins have missiles; they're all going there. And then Bruce effectively reverses the polarity because there's no other. It's, it's just as nonsense. And then they just turn around and walk back, and that's the whole plot. That's it. That's the whole thing. And it's like, you wasted cybernetic penguins on this. You wasted them. And that that's not that part I I bothered me, but the part that really made me bored is that their whole firstborn kids thing, and you think it's gonna be a thing, and it's written off as a note from Batman. Ha ha, you were too late. Batman's already saved the children. It's like what? Yeah, yeah. It's Did I point, blink? Yeah. Did I fall asleep in the movie and wake up and not realize it? Right. And like there was a potential to tie it together of like, well, you know, we're going to go after Shrek's firstborn son, but his, he, he was in literally one other scene. And I didn't even know it was the firstborn son until it was, he was in the middle of being, you know, tor tormented. And it's like, oh, by the way, this guy's also my firstborn son. You can't forget Chip. I, I, I can. And I already have. Every, I mean, everything, name, Shrek did, everything Shrek did was for Chip. That was his motivation was to give Chip a good life. Could you imagine going through life with the name Chip Shrek? <laughs> but he's a chip off the old block. You know, yeah. it's... <laughs> Finger guns. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, I bet you someone, some executive in a note wrote down, change his name to Chip for this joke. I specifically believe that exists. <laughs> I am willing to bet you that Shrek would have kept a watch up his ass for seven years <laughs> for his son Chip. And if people don't know that movie, you should go Google Christopher Walken and see what happens. Because but, there are a lot of jokes that that all led up to. I don't know if people saw it coming. <laughs> but I mean, again, uh, uh, I'm I'm behind Christopher Walken being a super a super villain, right? I, I'm uh, him being a, an amoral politician. I was into it. And then, like you said, near the end, I was getting bored with the him going, now I'm going to have an emotional arc about my son. It's like, you're Christopher Walken. You don't do emotional arcs. Just stop, buddy. Just just stop. <laughs> Go back to just being evil Donald Trump and enjoy that role. But what about Bruce? Why are you in a Batman suit? What? <laughs> that was awesome. Great. <laughs> hey, like... Everyone knew his identity, except for Penguin, who stole his car. The guy who jacked your car is the only person who doesn't know where you live and who you are. Again, why did Penguin steal the car? For reasons. <laughs> it's it's just so much, and there is so much potential. Yeah. But if this had worked out, then we would potentially have not gotten... 
I was I was hoping something positive would come out, but I got nothing. <laughs> but I've gotten Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Cause I I I'm not a huge fan of the DCEU either. I I, I like the Suicide Squad. So like uh, I have a very first Wonder Woman movie. I I I was with you. Like for a long time, I was like, I just don't like. It. Basically, if it's not the animated universe, I don't like DC media. That was like my stance for a long time. And then Arrow came along. It's like I like bits of this. Okay, it's okay. And then the movies came out. It's like, I don't like these. Um, I like Marvel movies. I like DC movies. Um, and then a couple of DC movies. Like I like Shazam. You know, I like the first Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I, I I like the second Suicide Squad, but I like it more as the prequel to Peacekeeper or Peacemaker. So I can't say I don't like DC movies. Um, and that's part of the reason why I've been kind of going back and, and reevaluating them. Uh, I will say, well, I think we agree that this movie is not good. I think we agree with that. I was way more interested in this movie than the ostensibly good Constantine movie we saw. <laughs> so I, I, we will, we're in agreement. This is not a good movie, but I do not regret having watched this movie to have this conversation with you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I cannot it, say that about everything that we've seen today. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was 90 minutes that happened. And I'm glad that we got to talk about it because it, this is definitely one of those movies that you watch and then you have to find someone to go, I need to talk about this movie because I need to unload on somebody. And it might be because, oh my God, it's horrible or, oh my God, what is going on? But it is not a movie that invites meh. <laughs> you have an opinion after watching this movie. You cannot leave this movie and not have some kind of opinion about it. <laughs> Batman threw acid at Catwoman. Batman <laughs> threw acid at Catwoman. Let's just... And also, that's not how vinyl works at all. I mean, <laughs> you can't but make an entire back- suit out of a jacket. That's just not how. That's just not how fabric works. <laughs> it goes back to they needed to lean into what one side of the movie for whatever it is they wanted. Like I think Burton had almost complete control over the film, and he should have like figured out what he wanted, and and if this is what he wanted good he got to make it but i don't think this is a vision that he had and should have gone back and pressured people to let him do the movie he wanted because he like he and keaton had only signed one contract so they had to play ball whatever whatever they wanted to get them to come back for batman returns oh okay because it's not like today where they have you sign like six contracts gotcha well one contract for six movies and he should have enforced his vision more so he would have had more Burton, which would have made the movie, I think, better. Or we would have had more um, submitting to corporate will, which would have made the movie better. Mm. This middle ground does not work for me as a viewer. Right. And, and, and the greater I, populace. And I, and I think that that's a really good point. Some we've, we've danced around, love we've always talked about. Batman 89 was a juggernaut. And more specifically, it was a juggernaut that absolutely no one was expecting. No one expected Batmania to happen again, frankly. Like the 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 kind of now almost iconic image of early '90s of the Batman logo T-shirt. It, it, it became mm-hmm. such a staple; it became like a cultural trend. But that started from bootlegs because DC did not and Warner Bros. did not have merchandising in place. They were not expecting it, and so this is definitely a movie that had to be made because there's money in the Nair Hills, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this movie absolutely suffers for it. Um, we're now in a place where there's enough money to be made that you can stick to an artistic vision. That was not the case in the early nineties. It was, holy shit, make a Batman movie and get it out there now, 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 now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but at the same time, it's also a really interesting look at trends like what what kinds of things we, we expect from this kind of movie that we don't see anymore um just really briefly because we're getting a long time but like you mentioned very early on that part of the, one of the notes was Catwoman needs to be sexy and what was considered sexy for superhero film in the early 90s is very different than what makes her sexy now like the sexy Catwoman outfit is way less revealing than the outfits we get for relatively unconstrained non-sexy quote-unquote characters in mcu now 
So it's interesting like how stuff like that has shifted. What what kind of stuff would be acceptable for a superhero movie aimed at kids, ostensibly, that would never yeah. fly in an MCU movie now? So we we wish you all a Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, do you have any any final thoughts on this? Because you did mention that we're we're running long for an episode that I didn't think we'd have more than fifteen minutes to talk about. I I, I had a lot to talk about. I knew that. But I forget, if you put us in a room, we could probably keep going for the two hours. Oh, yeah. God forbid if we ever run a convention panel together. That would be, that would be a nightmare. And if folks want that to happen, you should go and contact <laughs> a very large convention that would fly us both out and treat us as VIPs. Indeed. Absolutely. Preferably so wanted- overseas, because I would like to go, I'm thinking to Germany, maybe to somewhere in England. Or, ooh, ooh, is there a convention that happens in Italy? Uh, there, there's a Magic the Gathering convention that happens in Italy. I would go and speak at a Magic the Gathering convention. <laughs> I don't play the game, but I would go there if they paid me and like set me up with like good wine and like good food and good hotel room, and we hung out for a weekend. I'd do that. We just need to go to, to, to Spiel in Germany, obviously, and then just pick a flight over to Italy. Um, so if you wanted to arrange that for us, you can contact me at my website, Pugsteady, which is P-U-G-S-T-A-Y.com. Um, or you can learn more about my greater own game, realmsofpugmire.com. And if you wanted to make sure I got a ticket, you could contact me probably on social media somewhere. You go to the Darker Hue website, or you could go to the Darker Hue Discord, which is probably the best place to find me. All right. Um, and then next time, uh, in, in the new year, we're going to celebrate it with our 50th episode, where we did a live episode <laughs> talking about Force Awakens. And it is just as on point as you expected, just like this one was. So if you're looking for more rambling nonsense about Star Wars, <laughs> tune in the new year and listen to us doing it live uncut in front of two people. <laughs> no, no. I think we hit a max of three at one point in time. Oh, and sorry. the third person quickly three left. People in front of three people live on our Discord. So we'll see you all next week for that. yippee ki motherfucker. <laughs>